Welcome back to another episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, then my name is Chris Chapman and I am your host. Now, this is a podcast dedicated to those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. Every other week, I'm blessed to sit down with a fully qualified guest, entrepreneur, content creator, or mover and shaker in their industry, and really walk through their story of how they have gotten from point A to point B and overcame various adversities along the way. Now, before we dive into this week's episode, I just wanted to go ahead and reiterate my main goal, which is to impact 1 million people by helping them reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. So if you've not done this already, please take the time to subscribe to Next Level Minds and share this episode with a family member, friend, or colleague who you think will really get some value out of it. And if you're really feeling special, feel free to make a review of Next Level Minds on the Apple Podcast app and let me know what you think. Other than that, on to today's guest. I'm sitting down with Mikey Taylor, who is a retired pro skateboarder turned entrepreneur. He co-founded St. Archer Brewery, which later sold to Miller Coors in 2015. Then he co-founded Commune Capital in 2017, which is a real estate investment company that specializes primarily in multifamily that really likes to help others reach their financial freedom through real estate investing. So there's a lot to unpack on this episode. Definitely want to go into how Mikey really turned into a pro skater and then obviously made that transition from pro skateboarder to entrepreneur. So I'm super excited to sit down with Mikey. Uh, Plus, for those of you who don't know me, I used to have a uh, pretty hardcore skateboarder phase growing up, and uh, Mikey was actually one of my uh, my favorite skaters as a kid. So super excited to actually talk to him as well on today's episode. But other than that, as we like to say here at Next Level Minds, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success. Mikey, man, appreciate you hopping on the uh, Next Level Minds podcast today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Man, this is sick for me because I grew up skating for about five years as a kid and obviously like watched you when you were a pro skater. Uh, And if someone were to tell me during my my skateboarder phase, if I were to have you on a podcast, I would be like, what in the world are you talking about? So this (laughs) this is really cool for me, man. Oh, dude, I'm stoked to be here. I'm humble too. Yeah, I know we had some issues kind of getting the uh, the Zoom started before uh, we we press recorded. But uh, other than that, is your day going all right? It is. Yeah, yeah, it is. In the office, a uh, lot going on. It's my son's first birthday today, so we're gonna celebrate tonight. Nice. Um, so yeah, well, good day so far. You think you'll get him on the uh, the skateboarding at an early age? You know what? Uh, I think so, but uh, like I have two girls that are older than him and I wanted to get them on at a young age, but I didn't want to force it either. So I just put skateboards around the house at all times. My oldest is just now getting into it. Uh, she's eight. So she's definitely starting a lot younger than I did, but yeah, some of these kids dude, they start when they're like two. It's crazy. Yeah. It's something I wish I picked up at that age was golf because I suck at golf. I love it. But like seeing Jordan Spieth at what, like early twenties doing what he is. Oh my gosh. Yep. So I just put my daughter in golf lessons too. So 
<laughs> we're on the path, but uh, I'm definitely of the belief that like, I want the kids to figure out what they want to do. I don't want to like push it on them, mm-hmm. but if they show interest, then I'm going to go in, you yeah. know? Yeah. Now it's funny. I played the other day and, and we got paired up with a dad and his uh, six or seven year old daughter. And the starter is like, Hey, sh- she may slow you up and everything. And she actually, we were the ones slowing her up. Uh, no way. In this, Cause yeah, she plays in tournaments and stuff. So it's quite embarrassing, but it was fun. There we go. Nice. Um, dude, well, I want to start off with a cool, fun question uh, before we dive into some things here. So obviously, like my podcast, it's extremely positive and optimistic. Uh, and I know 2021 is kind of shaping up to hopefully be that way as well. So, uh, so far, what's been one of your, your top highlights of the year so far? Oh, man, top highlight for 2021 I would say there were three big ones. One, uh, like we're going to celebrate my son who was born April 20th, 2020, kind mm-hmm. of in the height of this mess. Uh, so we had one big blessing through this year. So we'll celebrate him tonight, which is a good one. Uh, other than that, uh, I don't know. I, I'm of the belief that like when you go through hard times that you should be joyful in those moments because they produce the biggest return. And so we, we've kind of had that outlook through this whole thing. Like I know 2020 sucked in a lot of ways, but uh, there was a lot of great things that happened for us through that. So uh, just thinking about the highlights so far of 2020, I feel like every day has had some component of a high or something to be thankful for. Yeah. How do you uh, like find that joy, I guess, during those tough times? Oh, man. Uh, you know what's weird, man? It becomes easier as you get older if you've gone through a couple challenging times, right? Mm-hmm. Like in the beginning, like you go through something that sucks and it's painful and we associate pain. I, I don't want to be here and move on and try to avoid it. But in those moments where you kind of do work through it and make it to the other side, well, you actually see that who you are now is actually way better than who you were going into it. And then it gives you just a different outlook of the times that that are going to happen in my life that are going to suck. Right. And it's kind of just, I think having a good outlook to know like, you know what? Yeah. I don't want to do this, but on the other end, there's a blessing there and just Mm -hmm. focusing on what comes on the other end, as opposed to the uncomfortableness of what you're currently in. Mm. That's yeah, such a good mindset to have. Cause obviously I think the tough times, like you mentioned is where you build the new strengths, new skills, far more than you do in the easier times. A hundred percent. Look at that. When it's easy, man, we're cruising, right? (laughs) We're not pushing ourselves. We're like, we're a, we're maintaining. Everything's good. When times are hard, it forces action. It forces you to do things that you maybe necessarily don't want to do. And then you see results from it. Yeah. Right. Like, are are you David Goggins at all? Oh yeah, definitely. Like, dude, that psychopath tries to stay uncomfortable in all times, right? <laughs> yeah. He's just learned how to, like, put himself in hard times always, so it's always producing the greatest results. And, you know, now he's Superman. Yeah. So uh, that, that would be an extreme example of it, but I think it all holds true. Yeah. Are you big on, like, the gratitude and stuff like that as well, kind of during the day to, to just mix up it and stay positive? Yeah, every morning uh, – uh, kind of part of my morning routine is uh, just giving thanks for the things that, that are a blessing in my life. Mm. Um, and look, I, I'm a big believer of looking through things with a, a, half, a, a cup half full. Yeah. Like, a, a, you know, I, I'm, 
I think the, that our perception of things are true, regardless if we're looking at it through a lens of negativity or positivity. But I think looking through it as a lens of positivity or optimism produces a greater result. So if whatever, however I look at my situation is true, I might as well pick the thing that's going to make me happier, bring more blessings my way. So I picked that one. Yeah. Plus people are naturally, yeah. I, I talked about this on a uh, Instagram live the other day. People are going to naturally kind of like follow you if you're that positive person uh, and you're just going to be kind of known for that, which is great. Yeah, I totally agree, man. Look, we all want like, what would all of us rather be like, you know, in the sunlight, like things are good or like being the cold and it's dark. Like we're just nat naturally gravitate towards good things happening. Yeah. You know, yeah. Great. I think it, it does attract people, yeah. you know, 100%. So let's fast forward a little bit to, to 2001. Uh, I believe that's when you first became uh, a pro skater and everything. So what kind of like led to that? What was the upbringing? Like, I know you grew up in California and everything, but I'd love if you could touch on that a little bit. Yeah. So basically I started skateboarding because one of my friends started skating and it was like a very, uh, just like there, there was nothing to it. I just wanted to fit in. Right. And so I started skating and it just kind of very quick became an obsession. It was so different than anything I had done in the past mm. where prior I was like always part of team sports and I had never done anything where you could do the same trick as somebody else, but how you did it made it better or worse, right? Like I came from the world of like, you shoot a basket and it goes in. It doesn't matter how you shot it. If it goes in, you get the same amount of points, right? Skating wasn't that. So like I started kind of falling in love with uh, just the culture of it. Hmm. And then as I got older, uh, I started getting pressure from my parents to get a job and I didn't want to because I wanted to keep skating. And so I figured out a hack to not have to work. And that was convince some of these companies to give me free product. Uh, and then if I needed to make money, I could sell that product to other skaters. And uh, that just eventually kind of made its way into a career. Mm. So what was that like convincing the sponsors for free stuff? Uh, obviously, I mean, was it like sending them footage or was there any kind of hardships with that? Yeah. So basically, uh, like at this time, there was no social media. Like it was based, it was mm. magazines. Right. And every once in a while, when a company would run an ad, they put an address on the page. Mm. And so I basically took every single address and I made a video of me skating and sent like 40 of these tapes out to whatever company, like if it was birdhouse, it would just be like birdhouse, the address, and then attention team manager. Right. And then I was like, send it to venture. And basically I didn't care. The company didn't care if it was cool, if it was whack, if it, if they had an address in the magazine, my tape was going to them. Uh, the problem was I didn't know any team managers names. Like all I put was attention team manager, uh, sent 40 of them out. I didn't get any called. No one called me back. And so I figured I had to make a video. It wasn't good enough. So I made another video, went through the process all over again, sent an additional 40 out. And then this time I had three people call me back. Mm. which turned into my first three sponsors. And then later I realized that like every kid does this, who sends videos out, they put attention team manager and send them. So the fact that like three team managers actually opened my video and watched it and called me back was uh, not common. 
Yeah. No, that's, I didn't even think about that because now it's like, you know, we connected on Instagram and it just took us a few minutes to, to figure out the logistics behind this podcast. And I didn't even think about like when you were starting out, there was no social media. It was literally just magazines and everything. That's it. Yep. Communication was not the way it is now. Yeah. I have literally probably like 200 Thrasher and Transworld magazines uh, at my parents' place still in their attic from when I was growing up. So, yep. Yep. I do. I do as well. <laughs> yeah. So what, what would you say like the lessons with skateboarding? Like so something I like about skateboarding is just you're like going and going and going, trying the same trick over and over till you get it. So like, what would you say in your opinion, the, the lessons behind being a pro skateboarder kind of can translate to business a bit? Um, well, I think kind of the point you just touched on is resilience. Like this idea of like, we become very comfortable messing up. It, it becomes part of our life, right? Because when we try a trick, like most people only see the one time that it took for us to land it. Little do they know, a lot of times it took us two or three hours to film that one trick, months before that trying to learn it. And, you know, we spend 99% of the time messing up just to land it one time for it to be captured in a video part for three seconds. And that becomes normal for us. So I think as you move into business, what happens is most people mess up on something or there's some type of failure hit hard and they perceive that as what they're doing is wrong. And this is a sign that they shouldn't be doing it. But for skaters, we go, Oh no, this shit's every day. This is part of our life. Like this is what we go through to get the trick. So like all good, I'm for this, you know? So I think resilience is a big one. I think like the idea of, of living in chaotic environment, helps because in business, typically the feeling is it's not working. The walls are closing in. How do I figure this out? It's like, you know, you know, they talk about entrepreneurship. It's like, you know, building the boat as it's out sailing in sea. It's like, that's it, what it's like, dude. So I think we get comfortable in just an environment that is challenging. And then I think the, the last one would probably be like inside of skateboarding, the community or the industry is very competitive. Mm. And a lot of the products aren't that like, there's not that much difference between one product from the other, right? Like mm. van shoes and Lakai shoes and Nike and Adidas, they're all the same. Plan B and girl and all the same. So we get really, really good at creating a brand and an experience and a vibe or whatever it is that makes the kid or the consumer think that no girls skateboards actually are better than plan B skateboards. They're the same thing. Right? So I think as you go into the business world, it's a different perspective to go. Yeah. Products, product, but how do I make the consumer think my product is better than everybody else's. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think those three elements really play well in business. Yeah, man, that's such a good point. You mentioned just the the kind of the story behind the brand, which I think is so important right now. Like, I love that you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm a big I'm a big component of of connecting. Mm. Right? How do you connect with the consumer on the product? Because if it's all product driven, the second there's a better product, you lose the consumer. Yeah. But if you can connect it with them in a deeper way beyond the product, you have a consumer for a long, long time. The longevity is just it's it's far out. Yeah. How'd you deal? You, you spoke about like the competitive nature part. How did you deal with, I guess, the, the competitiveness behind like either video part or a contest? Cause I imagine that's pretty intense. 
Yeah. You know, what's weird, man. Like I am like super, super competitive. I'm a really competitive person with skateboarding. I think why it attracted me was I wasn't really competing with others. Like mm. I, it was like truly me competing with myself. Mm. Like from the second I started skating, I wasn't trying to be as good as my friends. I was trying to be the best I could be. Mm. And that like individual battle just carried on in skateboarding. And I say that because I put way more stress on myself when I was filming a video part than when I went to a contest. When I skated a contest, it's like I could care less who I'm skating against. I just wanted to skate to the very best of my ability. And I don't know why skateboarding was the only thing where the, competitive, the competitiveness didn't transfer over against others. I have no clue why. Only thing in my life that that happened with. So maybe that was like what attracted me to it. Yeah, yeah. You know? Kind of like your safe haven just to get out of the competitive nature for a little bit or something. It, yeah, but it's weird. Like I am, I am so competitive. Like it drives my wife crazy. My oldest daughter is now competitive. It's annoying. It's a, like, it's not even like I'm kind of competitive. I'm like, all I want to do is win always. I hate losing. For some reason, skateboarding was the only thing that it just makes no sense. It's like, doesn't fit my personality at all. Yeah. You yeah. Know? No, that's funny you mentioned that. I like that you mentioned it's like you versus you. I know you mentioned David Goggins. Like he talks about that all the time. You know, it's you versus the person in the mirror. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So what I heard you listen to this uh, or mention this on another podcast about just some, some things that happened with, with DC, I believe, or, or one of the shoe brands out there that was like a pivotal moment. So I'd love if you could elaborate on that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the scariest thing for a pro skateboarder is to get older, uh, yeah. and to come to the reality that not only is my career not going to go forever, which we realize, but the, acceptance that it's probably going to end soon. And so I was kind of getting close to that point. I was, I don't know, 33 at this point and I hurt my leg. I tore a ligament in my leg. It happened a year prior, but I was through it. Like it was painful. It was awful, but I was still skating every day. And I got to a point where I was like, you know what, maybe I should just like have the conversation with my sponsors to see if I should fix it now or wait until my contract's over, then fix it after. And so I called DC. I was like, Hey guys, uh, this is my issue. I tore a ligament at my leg. They're telling me it's going to be six months. Should I fix it now? And then I, I had about a year, a little over a year on my contract, a year and a half on my contract. And so I was like, should I fix it now? And then I have a whole year left on this contract to just rip, or should I just skate, you know, throughout this contract and I'll finish it on the, on the, on the end of it. And so at this time, dude, I have like this, the highest selling shoe on DC from like my product, I was selling product. So in the back of my mind, I'm like, damn, maybe I could go longer than this last contract. Right. Yeah. Uh, and they were like, no, fix it now. All good. Like you'll be back in no time. I have surgery on my leg. The next month they found a loophole in my deal and ended it. So I'm on the couch. I'm, I'm still on crutches. I can't walk. And DC, which was my shoe deal and my clothing deal went away. And so that was pretty much all of my income as a pro skateboarder. Uh, and that happened one phone call. I was on the call for two and a half minutes, two and a half minutes. Oh yeah. my God. I thought you were going to say two and a half hours, like negotiating and everything like that. No, the guy who called me, I had never met before. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. I guess what was like going through your head with that type of news, especially if you're just like chilling on the couch after surgery. Oh, um, a lot of things. I mean, a lot of emotions. I think like, you know, the first one is 
wait, is this it? Is my career over? Mm. You start thinking of all the things that you wanted to do as a pro skateboarder. Uh, and then dude, you go towards like, you're pissed off, right? Like I went into like revenge mode. I'm gonna get these guys back. You know, how, what, what can I do that's going to hurt these guys? Do I build a company and just build them with so that whole process started going through my head. Uh, but then I had to basically start, you know, <laughs> navigating through the emotion to find like the right way to move forward on it. Mm. Uh, and it was hard, dude. It was like ha having the realization of like, dude, do I keep trying to do this or do I accept that it's over and, and move on? Uh, ultimately I decided that I was going to move on. Uh, but in the beginning I was going to do a shoe company and that was going to be the next thing I did because I wanted to basically try to take a run at DC. That was my whole like thought process. Like, wow. I'm going to kill these dudes with, with success. And in the process, and it went far, dude. We had the branding done. We had samples from China, the whole nine. Mm. And I'm looking at these shoes going, why the heck am I doing this? This is not what I'm called to do. I'm not called to create something on some, this isn't me. And so I ended up basically abandoning the project and thank God, because that led to the idea to create commune, which what I do now. Oh, wow. That's so cool that yeah. like that situation kind of that turning point translates to what you're doing now, which obviously you love doing. Yeah. And I think it's like, you know, it, it, it all comes down to purpose. It's like, if I would have built that, that shoe brand out, uh, I don't think it would have one succeeded, even if it would have succeeded the, the place of mind I was in, uh, I, 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 it wouldn't have been me living out in my purpose. I, that would have been created for the wrong intention and, and I, I think it would have been miserable, even if there was financial success. What I'm thankful for is making the decision to go, okay, I'm not going to do that. What am I actually doing? What's wrong with me? What are these issues inside led to me going down the right path? Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, I'm thankful for it. Really, yeah. really thankful for it. How, um, like, it seems like you have a lot of self-awareness, obviously, through that situation, just to kind of like ask yourself those questions. So do you think like self-awareness is a trait that people just practice over time or you're naturally self-aware? Cause like, that's something I've really been kind of honing into to learn more about myself is just overall self-awareness. It's such a good question. Um, I know, I think it could be learned. I think there's, there's people that, that like uh, one thing, it's always been very easy for me to be transparent, right? Like I've never had a hard time just telling somebody like, exactly how I feel, even if it's like an insecure feeling, never been hard for me, but I never put the, uh, the intention to know more about myself, right? The actual art of like, the more I know about myself, the better I can be. Mm. That happened later. That happened through this whole mess. I think, uh, it kind of goes down back to the competitiveness. Like truthfully for me, why I started learning more about myself is because I wanted to be better. <laughs> right. Yeah. It like all goes back. Like, how do I be the best? And I basically realized that the more, you know, about your weaknesses and your strengths, and the more, you know, about why you're making the decisions you're making, the more you can be involved to then navigate through those decisions to make sure that you're putting yourself in the highest, either probability of succeeding or your highest calling or whatever it is, uh, and I wanted that. Like I, I, I wanted to 
be living as close to my purpose as possible. And I, I had to address a lot of insecurities to achieve that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that was tough, but obviously like, again, the other side of the toughness, look, look at what you're doing now. You're actually in a business that you're passionate about, which obviously yeah. like the end goal at the end of the day. That's right. That's right. So let me ask you this. Like, so you were going to do shoes and I'm sure you obviously knew a lot about shoes being sponsored by DC. Uh, but now you were talking about, you know, commune capital, which is real estate investment. Um, so like, what was that learning process? Like, I, I know you like mentioned in another show, you're, you're really like self-taught. I mean, how did you like really learn that environment? Oh, so uh, there were a bunch of different ways. Yeah. yeah. One, I, I, one is I had a mentor. Okay. I had somebody in my life that spent a lot of time with me, just teaching me about money, about investing and about business. And a lot of what we learned in business was due, was because of this company that we started called St. Archer. And so I learned a lot in that process. We had to raise money uh, with that company. We ended up having success with the company. Investors made a return. And I got to see the whole circle of, you know, everything that goes into being able to raise money and then manage people's money and then distribute the return, right? Mm. Uh, once I moved into commune, there were a lot of crossovers that were the same. And then there were some that were unique that I had to learn. So the idea of creating business, I knew how to start a business. Uh, the, the act of raising capital, I knew how to raise capital. The difference was every business that I had created prior to that, we were selling a product. This business, I was starting a business, but the business was investing. So there, there was a, a different dynamic of it. And then also like in the world of portfolios and fund management, I, I had no idea what that was. <laughs> uh, and so I started reaching out to people. I started doing research. I, I reached out to my mentor, started reading books, started hitting up people inside of real estate who were managing portfolios similar to like what I wanted to do just started asking questions. How does this work? What do I do? Hmm. And I got to the point where I was able to build out a business plan, but there were still a lot of uh, questions that were unanswered. And so I set a meeting with my mentor, Randy, gave him the business plan, pitched him the idea and asked like, what am I missing? Well, what, what component of this am I not thinking about? And who do I need to bring onto this team to help me build out this vision? And it was that conversation which then led to us starting the company together months down the road. Uh, and then so what happened there was I was educated through the process of wanting to start it. And then I ended up partnering with people that had a lot of experience in the industry. So when I came into the picture, uh, I was able to avoid a lot of the landmines that I probably would have made just in the process of starting something new because of their experience. And then the learning curve, I think, was sped up pretty rapidly uh, because I was doing things at a at a larger level and a faster pace than if I would have tried to start this myself. Yeah, that's so cool that you mentioned that. I think that's like a common trait through a lot of guests I've had on the podcast of like that have started businesses. They're surrounding themselves with the right people, whether it's a mentor, business partners. Uh, so I'm so glad you mentioned that because that, that is so important. Look, I think I think it's if if you break down business at the core, I think that's actually the key fundamental piece that you have to have. Business is team sport. It's all about people. And when you go back to your original point about self-awareness and knowing what you're good at and knowing what you're bad at, the 
the more you understand about your strengths, the better ability you're going to have to bring people in to cover your weaknesses. Mm. Right. Yeah. And so that kind of component mixed with, I started as a pro skateboarder and I had to learn how to create businesses while I was still skating mm. where I couldn't give a hundred percent of my time. So I like was forced to learn how to bring on a team, how to delegate and just learn that process, thankfully, because I had to, there was no other option to start a business and still be a pro skateboard at the same time. Yeah. And I think what's funny about this and you probably laugh at this sometimes too, is obviously skateboarding is extremely individual, you know, you're by yourself and now you're obviously running a business, which is a team sport. Yes. And I, I had to learn that the hard way and thank God it happened inside of skateboarding and not business. Mm. But, uh, uh, I was sponsored by DVS and DVS is where I got my first shoe. And when I got my first shoe, I started falling in love with the process of product. I came up with an idea. I had to work with the designer, go through the sketches, get the samples, get the product to the market, and then be able to market it to sell. And then I make more money, right? I love that process. And I basically loved it so much that I wanted to be more than just a skateboarder. And I set up a meeting with the president of the company and pitched him this whole idea that I could be more than a skater. And he, in the most loving way, laughed at me, told me I was crazy and to go back to skating, right? Right. And so I left that meeting and I was like, all right, that, that's the end of this. I need to look for another company. And so I then started writing for Etnies. And part of the, the thing that attracted me to it is I was going to be able to participate more than just me being a skater. I got to help rebuild the team. I got to work designing all of the shoes inside the skate program. Hmm. Uh, was really excited about that. But I very quickly learned that I was terrible working with people. I had no people skills at all, Right. And I walked in there thinking like I was like the boss and it was just a terrible experience. I was telling people what to do so disrespectfully. I mean, it was awful, but it forced me to basically learn, holy crap, like you suck at this. Like you are really bad working with people. Uh, and so I was able to at least learn that prior to uh, starting my first business. Yeah, that's cool because I think you learn the best when you're just thrown into the situation like you were. Yeah, that is absolutely how I learn the best. I think that's the case for most people, yeah. but that is how I learn. I, I learn by experiencing the the result, whether it's good or bad. Yeah. So, so let me ask you this: like, obviously, you did a bunch of research on uh, real estate, kind of portfolio management. You had a relationship with Randy. At what point do people that are researching their business? At what point do you know? All right, it's time to actually jump into the business because, like, I think people can get caught up in like the gather information phase. And then it just never takes off. So how do you kind of know? Yeah, analysis by paralysis. Uh, yeah. I think it's different for every person, right? There's some people that go, I got an idea, I'm going all in. Don't do any due diligence. And then they get smoked, right? Maybe not all, but I, I, I think yeah. most. Then you have other people that are stuck in this, I don't know enough and I can't start until I'm, a perf I'm, I'm perfect or I have it all. Both of those, are, I think, there's a challenge there. I, some, I, I managed to be right in the middle, right? Like I like jumping in prior to having all the information, but I understand that without information, I'm not giving myself the highest firepower. And I think because I landed the middle, uh, it, the, I want to get this done is pushing me forward faster than the, I need to learn everything to do it. And so I'm kind of inching my way towards doing it. But I've just realized this about myself from the point of me coming up with an idea 
it takes me a year to start it always. I've never mm. started a company with shorter than that time frame. And so uh, I think that is kind of my gauge that if I have the idea and it's still progressing after the first month, well, then at least it survives the, the kill, kill moment. And then if I start progressing to the point of like, I can't turn back, that's usually like a big indicating moment for me that this is something I need to push forward on. Hmm. Because if I've gone to the point of me being scared, I'm onto something. And then that is usually the indicator of, okay, it's getting close, but I have to move forward. And then that's usually only another four months until I'm able to bring it to, to market. Yeah. So I like that kind of process that you go through. It's kind of like a step-by-step and then you have that kind Mm -hmm. of year parameter that you set for yourself. Um, Do you think it's self-awareness within like the months that you're building? Because like the worst is being stuck in the endless cycle where you feel like you're getting nowhere. So how do you kind of like address like, all right, I was here in January. Now I'm here in April. And it feels like you may not be getting that far. That's a good question. Uh, so usually my process is I come up with an idea and I'm in like this dream phase, right? Like all of the potential and the possibilities and everything's awesome, right? And that usually lasts for a few days for me, maybe a week. And then I'll start kind of reaching out to people. I'm not one that's going to keep an idea back. I call everybody I know that I feel like is going to give me value or, hey, what do you think about this? Is there an opportunity here? Who can I talk to in the space? And I go through this like, kind of info mode to try to debunk the idea as soon as possible so that I know I don't need to spend any more time on it, right? Mm. If I get past that moment, let's call that a month, then I'm usually going into creating a business plan. Mm. And in the business plan, it's a lot easier to track progression because you're starting at the, at, you know, the entry point and you're trying to get to a completed business plan. And so, you know, it's, it, I think it's easier to have your to-do list of what I need to do. And it kind of forces you to not be at idle. Mm. And then once you get to like, I have a business plan, well, then at least you're at the point of going, okay, now how do I go through this? Like, uh, what would you call it? Try to kill my plan. How do I poke holes yeah. in the plan? Yeah. And once I have a business plan, that's usually when I go pitch other people, even though I'm not even trying to bring them on to the company or raise money. I just want people to eat it up. Right. Mm. And then as we, we go through them trying to kill my idea, if I make it through that process and I'm still fired up about it, well, I'm onto something, but I, I've just spent enough time now learning my process and my process helps me push. Right. I think in the beginning and what you're re- referring to is the hardest part because you don't, you're trying to create your process for the first time. You don't all the way know it. And it's easier to get stuck in this, like, well, I've been telling everybody about my idea for six months and that's all I'm doing is telling somebody. So I recognize that the year is the hardest part. My recommendation would be you have to get around people that have done this in the past. Mm. Start surrounding yourself with people who have created business, start learning their process and start putting yourself in situations that force action. That's at least what I have to do. I have to put myself in a position where I don't have an, uh, uh, another out. I have to do it. And for me, that's telling people I'm going to do it. I don't know why, but like when I tell somebody I'm going to do it, I hate telling people I'm going to do something and I don't do it. It, 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 is a, it. it makes me uncomfortable. So knowing that about myself, I go and tell people. 
because I'm going to feel like the biggest like failure. If somebody looks back at me six months from now and goes, oh yeah, you're still saying the same thing. So that's what I use. There's a component that you're going to have to find that thing about you that drives you forward and then put yourself in that situation. Now there's people that are going to take that and go, so I should just like quit my job to, you know, burn the ship and just jump all the way in. Look, that is creating a whole other type of risk. So just know the risk that you're taking first, but I am a believer in uh, you got to just jump in the deep end and, mm-hmm. and learn how to swim at some point. Yeah. Now that's so cool. You mentioned about the, uh, again, going back to surrounding yourself with the right people. Uh, I think that's really important. And when you were talking about telling everyone, I was laughing to myself because I remember when I first was starting the podcast, I like started telling everyone and then they would keep calling me asking, Hey, when's the podcast coming out? And I'm like, damn, I have like 30 accountability partners. I didn't even realize that's right. it. So. That's right. That's right. It, it, it's what works for me. Yeah. No, I think it works for a lot of people too, especially the competitive people out there that kind of want to prove something to others. It's, it's like just telling people about your idea, being forced to do it. Yep. That's right. That's so, right. And I want to kind of like in this, asking some, some questions from your Instagram videos with Commune Capital, uh, which okay. plug on that to the listeners. These videos are awesome. I'm going to put the link uh, in the show notes because very informative, easy, like to break down financial knowledge. Um, so first off, thank you, Mikey, for putting this out there because it's very oh, easy to digest. I appreciate that. I really do. Yeah. So I guess the first one is... Uh, you talked about being stuck in the cycle um, on one of them and then using money to, to free up time. Um, so mm. can you kind of go over that in more detail? Cause I think a lot of my listeners are, you know, around my age, 25 to 35, they like see the value of freedom of time, but it's kind of that action steps to get there with their financials. Yeah. It, it, this is one of those concepts that's easy to understand. Once you understand it, it's a lot harder to do because we deal with all the emotional baggage that comes with it. Uh, Let's say (laughs) you don't have to work through the emotional damage that maybe your parents or your upbringing put on you to think that money is scarce, money is limited, you can't have it. Let's say that's neutral, right? Okay. So we have this idea that we make money because we work, right? Mm -hmm. If I work, I make money, which is true, but that's only the first step. And typically school ends there or culture ends there. They're just, they just go work, make money, right? What they don't tell us is there's an exchange happening. We are exchanging or sacrificing our time for money, right? Mm -hmm. Well, there's another step and that is learning how to get money in motion or how to put your dollars in investments that bring you money back or interest back, right? And you get to a point where you have enough interest coming in where you no longer have to work or you don't have to work as hard, right? Because you can count on money coming in that you're not working for. And then it's this idea of, oh my gosh, if I get to the point of of having the choice to work, well, I've just freed up time, right? If you have money, you can now hire people to do things. Like we talk about starting business, right? If you don't have money and you're getting started, you are doing it all yourself. You're one man show or one woman show until you get to the point of being stabilized, right? Once you start having more money, you can now outsource these things, which frees up your time so that you only get to focus on the things you're best at. The reason it's hard is it takes time. 
right? You're almost going against culture because culture tells us we deserve everything and we need it now. When it comes to building passive income or investing in assets that produce a return, you don't get to the point of it covering your lifestyle for a while. And a lot of people don't ever get started because they look at 10, 15 years out and go, that's forever. I don't want to wait that long. And then they don't get started. And then before they know it, they're working for the rest of, your, rest of their life. Mm. And then everyone around them has the freedom that they don't have because they started earlier. Everything. That's right. That's right. That's, Man, right. That's, that's cool. Thanks for breaking that down. So I guess the next one I have is just house down payment, kind of the benefits of doing three to 5% or 20%. And I'm actually kind of going through that internal battle with myself right now. So I'd love your answer on this. Yeah. So what you're going to quickly realize or anyone listening as they go down this dive of financial literacy, there's no one size fits all. It really does depend on the person. Uh, when it comes to putting a down payment down on the house, putting the larger down payment, the 20% will always be your cheapest option. The more you put down, the cheaper your option is because uh, you'll end up paying less in interest, right? But with how home prices are, uh, a lot of people feel like saving 20% is too much. I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't wait that long. I'm missing the opportunity of real estate going up. I want to participate and a bank doesn't require me to put 20% down. So I'm going to put 5 or 10% down, right? That's an okay option as long as you understand the risk that's coming in. The less money you put into a deal, the more possibility something can happen, which puts you underwater and then gives you the possibility of losing that deal, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're putting, let's call it 5% down, kind of this idea is if you feel really, really confident that you're only gonna make more and more money over time, and you understand that if there is a correction and something does happen with your job, and the real estate market corrects, which it does. Real estate does not always go up. Maybe it does over a certain amount of time, but you can't, you don't know the future to know what's going to happen in your personal life and how that's going to correlate with real estate to put you in a position where you don't have the option. Well, you may lose your home. And if you lose your home and you lose your down payment and you're okay with the, the reality that it could hurt your credit, and make it more difficult for you in the future for a certain amount of time, then yes, that's an okay option if you know the risks at play, right? Uh, the good thing is if you're young, you can make the argument that you have time. Mm. You have time to claw back. You have time to take more risk. Uh, that's that's, that's a, a, a fair argument. Um, it just comes down to how comfortable you are taking risks and knowing what those risks are so that you can make a decision that best fits you personally. Yeah. And I think it goes back to the self-awareness uh, that we were talking about earlier on your situation. A hundred percent. And like, look, the, the thing that sucks about finance uh, or money and all, most of the things you're hearing are wrong. Everything that culture is teaching you is wrong about money. 95% of the stuff the school teaches you, which isn't really anything, it's usually wrong. So you do have to do your own due diligence to actually go to the source to learn a lot of this stuff because it's just, we do a very bad job teaching the masses about money. Mm -hmm. And I mean, look at homes, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Don't you think most people look at homes as a great investment that they're always going to make money on? Yes, they do. Kind of what we're taught, right? Own a home. It's the American dream. That's our best investment. 
myself, I don't even look at a home as an investment. I don't view it as an investment at all. I view it as my home. Two, a lot of people have lost their home. That is not an always go up and I always make money scenario. So just understand what it is and then make the decision based on that. Yeah. I learned that in Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He wrote about, you know, your primary home's not your, your investment or anything. So that's right. That's right. Um, I guess the last one on this Instagram piece uh, here is just really the importance of starting to invest early because that's a huge point that I think should be driven. It's probably the most important one we can talk yes. about, honestly. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the, the biggest thing when it comes to investing is not investing, right? Uh, the thing about investing, and you know, you've heard, I know you're aware of compound interest, but what compound interest does Compound interest loves time and it starts becoming so powerful. And when you get to the point of it really doing damage every year beyond that, it's like, it's massive. So starting when you're young uh, is, is everything, right? It's like, I can't remember what the quote is, but uh, it's like the best time to invest was 20 years ago. The second best time is today, right? Everybody wishes they could do it a long time ago, but you need to start now. Uh, The other thing when it comes to investing, we have this idea that we can't start until we're making a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. I'm only making 30 grand a year. I can't invest. I don't have enough, right? I'm only making, once I make a hundred grand, I'll start investing. That is poison. It, it really is. You, if you can learn to invest when you have a little, you are going to be so powerful as you start making more money because you're creating the discipline when there's not a lot there. When you're making 30 grand a year, 40 grand a year, and you're forcing yourself to save a certain percentage, that is so hard to do. And if you could do it then, you're going to do it when you make 50, you're going to do it when you make 70, you're going to do it when you make a million bucks a year, right? So you have to get started and start the discipline when you're young. Yeah. No, that's so true. I, I think, and you can even just look up calculators of like the difference between starting at 25 and 35, and you lose out on a couple hundred thousand dollars at, at least when it comes that's to right. retirement and stuff. So that's right. That's right. No, that's awesome. So Mikey, out of your journey and the success you've had, uh, what would be kind of the one word to, to just kind of describe everything on this journey so far? Huh. One word. That's a great question. One word to describe my journey would probably be going back and forth between humbleness and faith. It's one of those two. Okay. I don't know which cool. one. Cool. It's one of those two. <laughs> I'm sure you just kind of like thought about your whole life in your head in a, in a five second thing right there too. So. That's right. That's right. Nice, man. So where can people connect with you, um, hear about more about Commune Capital and just anything that you have coming up as well? Uh, okay. If you want to find me on social media, uh, pretty much at Mikey Taylor and all the platforms. Uh, if you're interested in our company, it's Commune Capital. Our website's communecapital.com. It's at Commune Capital on all the platforms. Uh, if you're just getting started, all of our content is geared around financial education and financial literacy. And then our business is in uh, real estate. We do multifamily apartments, storage units, and lending. Uh, and we ultimately allow people to partner with us on the deals that we have our money in. So uh, if you are looking for alternative investments there, you can go through the process on our website to reaching out and seeing if that's of interest. 
Yeah. And that's, uh, that's, that's what we do. Yeah, no, absolutely. man. I'll put all that in the show notes as well. Um, but yeah, Mikey, appreciate you hopping on. This is a great time. I appreciate you for having me. Well, that's it, guys. Thanks again for taking the time to tune into this week's episode of Next Level Minds. Be sure to connect with Mikey on the various social media platforms that he mentioned in the episode. Also, check out Commune Capital. They definitely have some awesome videos out there when it comes to financial education. Lastly, as we always like to say here at Next Level Minds, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success. <laughs>